Thank you, Bert and Sally. Great job as always. And um, could you turn your Bibles to Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And as you can see on the board, we're going to wrap up our study of chapter 2 of Habakkuk, one chapter to go after today. We're going to be looking at verse 20, which teaches us that the earth's inhabitants are commanded to be silent because of the Lord's presence in his holy temple. And what he says there back in the 7th century B.C. is still applicable today, as we'll see. So that'll, we'll be looking at that uh, in the second session. And just a, a reminder, as I said in the, in the, uh, the announcements earlier, we have our corporate prayer meeting, the 29th. Uh, of, uh, at 6 o'clock this, uh, this Wednesday. And also, remember, we're starting a new series. We just finished off the Doctrine of Sanctification. We're actually doing a new series. It's going to be called The Day of the Lord. So uh, it's, uh, I think you're going to find that uh, very exciting. It's going to be, uh, uh, look at the Day of the Lord, that expression uh, in, the, um, in the Old Testament, and that there's many Day of the Lord prophecies that have already been fulfilled in history. And then the primary emphasis will be on the ones that are yet future. We call them the eschatological Day of the Lord uh, prophecies. So that means there will be several doctrines involved in this study, in this series. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel, uh, talking about that, the, the tribulation period, in other words. And also uh, we'll talk about the Russian-led invasion of Israel, Ezekiel 38 and 39. We'll be talking about the Antichrist and his movement with the final stage of the Roman Empire during the tribulation period. The second advent, also the millennial reign. We'll be looking at that in detail, as well as the new heavens and the new earth. We'll be studying that as well to top, finish off this study of the Day of the Lord because the expression Day of the Lord is used in relation to all those uh, the uh, dispensations that are yet future. And also, we'll also be looking at how the, we're related to the Day of the Lord. Paul talks about it to the church in Thessalonica and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians about the Day of the Lord and, and how the church is related to it. And as we'll, uh, as we'll see, that uh, the rapture has to take place before the events of the tribulation take place. Antichrist appears. He, he can't appear until we're gone. And so we'll be talking about the rapture and also the different views of the rapture. There's like five different views of the rapture. And for those who hit our website, winston.org, and it's, uh, on Academia Edu, I've written extensively on the Day of the Lord. In fact, I just updated that article back in 2021. So you can read about it as you want on our website. So, uh, so that's uh, uh, starting on uh, this Wednesday. I think you'll find it a lot of fun. So uh, without further ado, we're going to not only pray for, as we, this is our custom, pray for the second message, but also <laughs> pray for the offering as well. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great honor and privilege that you've given to us to express our gratitude and love for all that you've done for us through your Son and the Spirit in the past, are doing for us now, and will do for us in the future. We thank you for all the logistical grace blessings, the food, shelter, clothing, the homes that we live in, the, uh, the uh, jobs that we have, the salaries that we have. We thank you, Father, for this building to meet in this beautiful building. And uh, everyone here, we thank you for our bodies, our souls, our volition. We just thank you for all the things that we have. And uh, we just wanted to reflect our gratitude to you and reciprocate and to express our gratitude, thanks, and love for you and what you've done for us through both the Son and the Spirit uh, through this love gift that we're about to present to you. We present it to you based upon the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we're in union with, Father. I also pray, Father, for the, the uh, second session here. And again, I thank you for everyone that's in the chapel, and I pray, Father, the Spirit would do a mighty work to all of us here 
uh, this morning, both as myself as the communicator and those who are receiving the word of God. I just thank you, Father, for the great honor and privilege that you've given to me to communicate your word to your people, and your word is stated that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And so, Father, it's a great honor and privilege to be uh, the pastor of this church who you purchased with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that the purpose for which you gave me this gift would be fulfilled in this second session. Help me to deliver the message again with, by the power of the Spirit and with accuracy, clarity, reverence, respect, and power. And also work mightily and powerfully through your people, through your people by the Spirit. Help them to learn and understand and to concentrate and to break down any barriers that would hinder that from happening. And also uh, making personal application. I pray that each person would be spoken to and all of us as a corporate unit. And as a result, all of us would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, and bring, uh, worship you and praise you and your Son for all that you've done for us in the past, doing for us now, and will do for us in the future, in this wonderful, wonderful future that you've given to us, in this wonderful salvation, so great salvation that you provided for us. And I just pray again, this message be a blessing to your people. And glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. As we said in the, before the opening prayer, we're going to be looking at verse 20, wrapping up our study of Habakkuk chapter 2. There's one more chapter to go, and, uh, and we'll, as we'll see in the next uh, couple of months, uh, this third chapter is a humdinger. It's uh, basically a psalm. It's called the Divine Warrior Psalm, and uh, before we even get into the details of that verse, I'll show you that <clears throat> there's different views about it. That some people think it's uh, something in the past that God has done, and there are others who believe that it's, uh, it's something that he's done in the future, and others think both. So what we're going to find out is it's actually primarily talking about the events of the tribulation period and the second advent of Christ. And also we'll have the millennial reign tossed in there too. So this is very important uh, that, uh, that what we see here with Habakkuk, and as we'll see with this statement in verse 20, and then when we get to chapter 3, uh, we see Habakkuk's response to this great revelation that he's been given to uh, to him by God. He's, you know, he, he wanted his people to be uh, held accountable for their ungodly behavior. God's bringing in the Babylonians, and then God tells him, I'm going to judge the Babylonians as, after that. I've been used them to discipline your people and these un other unregenerate nations who are in unrepentant idolatry. And then, so we see that going on. So then, uh, then we have this prophecy of the future where Jesus Christ is in, in, in view and uh, what he'll do during the tribulation period and his second advent to start the kingdom on earth, his millennial reign. And so uh, at the end of the book, we see the faith of Habakkuk. And this is very applicable to us because you've got to remember what's context. This nation is being told that they're going to be disciplined by God severely with a cruel, pagan, imperialistic empire, uh, the Babylonians. And so this, they had to walk by faith. We see this in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which we'll see at the end of this lesson. So uh, there's also at the end of the ch book, chapter 3, we see the faith of Habakkuk, despite the fact that they're going to be uh, going to be tra great turmoil in the nation, and there's going to be a national crisis where the nation will actually lose a, a geographical boundaries, central government, and they'll be deported to a foreign nation for, for 70 years. And so God, God says, well, you have to walk by faith. See, there's a faithful remnant in the nation that's now going to have to suffer by association with the, un uh, the, un uh, the, the uh, people in apostasy. And this happens to believers sometimes. It's happened to uh, with wives uh, with a, an apostate husband. When I say apostasy, I'm talking about a person whose apostasy is always used of a Christian because he talks about going in the wrong direction, going a 180. 
Okay, a person in apostasy, you might hear reversionism or backsliding. You were one time obeying God, but now you've done a 180 and you're habitually disobedient to him. So God disciplines us when we get that way. That's what Revelation 3.19, the Lord says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, the great chapter on discipline. So the, the nation of Israel and the believers in the nation in apostasy were about to receive discipline from God and severely. Because for the Jews, severely because to whom much is given, much is required. No other nation on the face of the earth has gotten the, the privileges and the revelation that the Jews have received. And that's why they've suffered more than any other people in history. To whom much is given, much is required. And that's why they suffer today. And they will continue to suffer, according to the scriptures, until Jesus, their Messiah, whom they pierced, their forefathers pierced, comes back to uh, deliver them from the events of the tribulation period and Antichrist, the false prophet, the tribulation armies, and Satan and his fallen angels are on the earth. And so he's de they're dealing with the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan. But you and I, the church, are delivered from the wrath to come, Paul says. First John, first, uh, first Thessalonians 5, 9. And in fact, it can't happen until we're gone at the rapture. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, 1 through 12. He says the restrainer must be removed and then the Antichrist can appear. Who's the restrainer? Well, only God can restrain evil. Well, how does he do that? Well, he does it through the church who he indwells. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwell the believer. Ephesians 4, 6 says that. And we also see that Jesus indwells us. Well, Colossians 1, 27. And also the Spirit does, Romans 8, 11. And there's other passages. We're permanently indwelt by each member of the Trinity. So once we're gone at the rapture, God, the Holy Spirit, is not localized in a group of believers as he is today with us. That's why we're the salt of the earth. We're the reason why God might not, has, might not have judged this nation already. So, very, very important. So Habakkuk is, going to, is now going to give us a, some revelation about the Lord sitting in his temple and the implications of that. So, let's again read the whole chapter and then we'll look at verse 20 for the rest of the session. It says in Habakkuk 2.1, I will stand at my watch, Habakkuk says, and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he, God, will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and of the prophecy, the fulfillment of the prophecy, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. That's a call to faith. It will certainly come and it will not delay. See, the Babylonian is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous, the believer, and in particular the, the faithful believer, will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays the Babylonian. He is arrogant and never at rest because he's as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him, the Babylonian, with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood and you've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high to escape, to escape the clutches of ruin. You plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. 
Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire and that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This has never happened in history. Didn't happen during the first advent of Christ, but it will during the millennial reign. And you and I, the bride of Christ, will be there. And don't miss this. Remember I told you, you're raised and seated with Christ. You're in union with Christ. Paul talks about us as being the new humanity, Gentile Christians with Jewish Christians. And we form the new humanity, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. And we are the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 makes that clear. The bride of Christ. Old Testament saints are friends of the bridegroom. John the Baptist is a friend of the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Who's the bride? We are. And we are going to dispossess Satan, the fallen angels, who are the, who are the present rulers of this world. One of the major reasons why the world is a mess and our country is a mess. And the reason why you should pray for your country and your leaders. So back to the fall of Adam and Eve. They were designed to rule over the works of God's hands. Both of them are created in the image of God. They were to rule, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But we don't see that, as the writer of Hebrew Paul said in Hebrews chapter 2. Why? Well, Satan is now the temporary god of this world as a result of the fall. He's usurped the authority of Adam and Eve in the garden with the fall. And now he's the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. 1 John 5, 19. He, the whole world is under his power. And Revelation 12 talks about the fact that he deceives the entire world through his cosmic world system. Jesus was offered the kingdoms of this world if he would bow down to Satan. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. That wouldn't be a legit, if that wasn't true, that wouldn't be a legitimate temptation. It's true. He does have that authority temporarily. But of course, Jesus emphatically rebuked him with the word of God. So... The first step in restoring humanity to the rulership of this world started with Jesus Christ, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father, which destroyed the works of the devil and dispossessed Satan as the God of this world. Jesus Christ owns the title deed of the earth. Revelation 5 teaches us that. You're in union with him. And every person during the church age, which began on the day of Pentecost and June of 33 AD and the city of Jerusalem and will end with the rapture, which is imminent. Everybody who believes in Jesus Christ, male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, whoever believes in him is placed in union with Christ and identified with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of the right hand of the Father. Why? Because you are now under the headship of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Or as the Hebrew or the Greek says, King of ruling over the kings and Lord ruling over the lords. Genitive subordination there. You are something special. Not because of what we've done, because of who God made us to be through the merits of his son, Jesus Christ. And now, God's, by calling out a bride for his son right now, we're in the process of completing the, the removal of uh, Satan and the fallen angels and restoring humanity as the rightful rulers of planet Earth, the church and his bride, church the bride of Christ. We are part of that. So he talks about this, you will see this. You will be there. You will be experiencing it. And then one day, we'll be looking around. Remember that message Pastor Bill said, that we would be there. There it is. And I'll be looking at you going, told you so. <laughs> Verse 15, woe to him, the Babylonian, who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they're drunk, so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. 
You'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed man's blood, and you've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol, since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusted his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking through Habakkuk in this book. And he wants the, all the earth, when this prophecy is read, to listen to what the Lord is saying through the prophet. Back in the 6th and 7th century B.C.s, and right today, our country better hear the message. Because we are just like all these other empires and nations in history. All Russia, China, everybody, Korea, all of them must listen to this message. Because the Holy Spirit, through the prophet, back in the 7th century B.C., has got a message for America today. And a message for the church. Because if he does bring disaster to this country, what did he tell Habakkuk to do? Walk by faith. Trust in me. Though the nation fall apart, I will protect you. Look at Daniel, who was a contemporary of Habakkuk. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jeremiah, they, Ezekiel, they all tell the story in the books that they wrote of God kept protecting them. They trusted God. And when you trust God, you, are, you appropriate the omnipotence of God who can who help you to transcend your adversity. When you're weak, you're strong. And that's what God teaches all the great saints. It wasn't in weakness that our Lord destroyed the works of the devil. Yes. My translation of verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Silence each and every inhabitant of the earth because of his presence. So this verse brings to an end the God of Israel's response to Habakkuk's argument against his choice of the Babylonians, God's choice of the Babylonians, to discipline the apostate citizens of the southern kingdom of Judah. And again, remember that argument was in verses 12 through 17 of the first chapter. Now we have verse 20 of chapter 2. It begins with a declarative statement which asserts that the Lord, as you can see, is in his holy temple. It's followed by a command, as you can also see in your translation and mine, that required each one of the inhabitants of the earth be silent because of the Lord's presence, which is manifested in his holy temple in the third heaven. Together, they present a contrast with the previous statements in verses 18 and 19. So therefore, a comparison of these three verses, verses 18 through 20, indicates that this contrast in these verses is between mute, lifeless pieces of wood and stone and the Lord who sits in his temple, who is living and who provides guidance and instruction for his moral, rational creatures such as men and angels. The Lord's holy temple is located in the third heaven and is the place where the members of the Trinity manifest their personal presence to moral, rational creatures human beings and angels. Remember, Paul talked about he was in the third heaven, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 
And we see the very first 10 verses, he talks about he was in the throne room of God in the third heaven. So what's the first heaven? It has to be the Earth's atmosphere. And the stellar universe is the second heaven. The third heaven is the throne room of God. The throne room of God. And by the way, if you or I were to die today, right now, we would be absent from the body, face to face with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 teaches us that. As a believer, you're immediately in the presence of Christ. And you're right there in the throne room. And by the way, you won't be looking around for grandma or grandpa or mom and dad who have gone before you. You'll be looking at the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God, the creator, who became a human being and rose from the dead after dying on the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the Father as victor in the angelic conflict. And you'll be seeing this person that you've never seen before, you will finally see him, the one you love. Your true love, Jesus Christ. He came in weakness. The next time he comes with us to this earth, it is in power and in strength, an omnipotence this world has never seen in the likes of. And we come with him in his train. So, we see here that the Lord's presence, notice something, he, if you look at your, bio, your translation, but the Lord is in his holy temple. It says, let all the earth be silent before him. I thought we were talking about Babylon. We are. Why did he go to this? He wants all the nations to know what he's going to do to Babylon. He also, so he's speaking to the whole world. He's speaking to the whole world today. The nations that follow the example of Babylon They've come and gone. Medo-Persia followed it. Then you had Alexander's Greece, Rome. You have the Hitler, Rome, the, the British Empire. The, the sun never set on the Union Jack. We as Britain now. They ain't anything now. They're not the, they don't have the world. The pound's not the world's currency. The dollar is. And how long is that going to be? Well, we followed by this. We're going in the same direction. We walked away from the truth. We've walked away from this truth. And you and I, the bride of Christ, are to be the salt of the earth. You can be the reason why God withholds the judgment for another year or another day. That's right. He works through the prayers of his saints. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. Pray for your nation. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the president and his staff, everybody, military. You have a responsibility to your country and to your God. You're a citizen of heaven. Act like it. You're a son of the king. You're a son of the father. Okay? You're a son of God, child of God. We must walk in a manner that's fitting. As we'll see in our study of the day of the Lord, what God's going to do in the future, as well as he did, what he's done for us in the past, is to govern our behavior. It's we to live in light of what God did for us in our past and our justification and what he's going to do for us in the future with the resurrection body and rewards for faithful service and the millennial reign and the new heavens and the new earth. We have a fantastic future waiting for us. So how should we live now? We should live as children of the king. Your aristocracy, spiritual aristocracy. Nobody's ever seen the likes of us. Okay? Very, very important. So it appears this throne room we see, as you look at my, my slide here on the board, the Lord's Holy Temple he's talking about here is located in the third heaven. 
And it's the place where the members of the Trinity manifest their personal presence to their more rational creatures, human beings, and angels. It appears in the third heaven, which is above the stellar universe and contains the throne of God. The tabernacle and temple were patterned after the heavenly one, according to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, the third heaven is where the Lord's holy temple resides and where he manifests his personal presence to his moral, rational creatures. His temple is described in Habakkuk 2.20 as being holy. What does that mean? It means that it's set apart exclusively to manifest his personal presence to both human beings and angels. Now, this declarative statement in verse 20, which asserts that the Lord is in his holy temple, as we pointed out earlier, is followed by a command, which required that each and every one of the inhabitants of the earth remain silent. Why? Because of the Lord's personal presence, which is, again, manifested in his holy temple and the third heaven. So this command required that each member of the human race, you and I today, to refrain from speaking in the presence of the Lord while he sits in his holy temple. He demands awesome, respectful silence from his moral, rational creatures, both human beings and angels. We're creatures. Notice that this command required that they remain silent because of his presence. Or in other words, the Lord's personal presence as manifested in his holy temple in the third heaven is the reason why every member of the human race must remain silent. A comparison of verses 18 and 19 with this command and the declarative statement of verse 20 indicates that the command to be silent implies that unlike the gods of the Babylonians, the God of Israel and Judah is living and teaches his subjects, both men and angels. Ultimately, the command for the inhabitants of the earth to remain silent because of the Lord's presence in his temple, here in verse 20, also indicates that the Lord was about to judge them. In fact, you see in heaven, silence in heaven where the seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments. There's a moment where they, there's silence in heaven. And that's just before the judgment that brings in Christ at his second advent. That cataclysmic event that'll take place on this earth and you'll be there. So this judgment that Habakkuk's talking about was imminent. We know that from Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. We got, because the participle conjugation of the verb there, pa'al, talks about imminent judgment. So back at chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, makes clear that the Babylonians would eventually be judged by God as well for their unrepentant sinful behavior towards their neighbors and because of their unrepentant idolatry. Now you got to think about that. In verses 18 through 20, he's condemning them for their idolatry, which is an affront to hit their relationship with God. as He's their creator, right? But verses 4 through 17, he's talking about their treatment of their fellow human beings. Didn't Jesus, didn't, didn't the old law say, and Jesus quoted, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbors yourself? That's practicing righteousness if we do that. But the Babylonians, as we saw in this book so far, practiced unrighteousness. Americans, Chinese, Russian, anybody on the face of the earth that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and is not obeying God's word is practicing unrighteousness. And God, in his grace and his mercy and his love, is waiting for people to repent. It means change your mind about Jesus and trust in him. He's waiting for the Jewish people who are surrounded by enemies and will continue to be surrounded by enemies. And their worst period of discipline is yet to come. The 70th, weeks, the 70th week of Daniel and the last three and a half years when Antichrist and an inside job 
will take the Jewish people by surprise, who they thought he was gonna be their chief benefactor. It turns out he was there the worst, worse than Hitler. He will be worse than Hitler. So this is what they got coming. But then, once that's over, as, the, as, as all hope looks, all, it looks lost for Israel and the world, they'll trust in Jesus. There'll be a national regeneration of the nation of Israel. The Ezekiel dry bone passage. The, the spirit of life, the life has not been put into them. They're dry bones. There's a small remnant of Jews that are believers and has been through every dispensation and every period of, of, of uh, the church age in history. God always sets aside a remnant for himself. So there's a, and a Jewish remnant of the church is part of that remnant. But contrast to the first advent, where the majority of Jews rejected him as Messiah, may his blood be on us and our children, which did come to pass with the Roman invasion and destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in 70 AD. The second advent, when we come back with him, with elect angels and tribulational martyrs and Old Testament saints, will be a different story. They'll look on whom they pierced, Zechariah. Now, who in Jewish history was pierced by them? Was it not Jesus? Why can't they see this? Oh, the same reason why can't we couldn't see it either. The veil is over their hearts so that they cannot believe, Paul said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. But one fine day, the Day of Atonement, to be a national repentance in Israel, and it'll be the most magnificent sight you'll see. It will be absolutely, incredibly emotional event. It will be, people. And we're going to be there. It's going to be fantastic. Isn't this exciting to know? We're, we're clued in on all this stuff. God wants you to know this stuff to get you through the garbage that's going on in your life and my life and this world and sin and Satan and evil and injustice. We need to have this encouragement. This is why you should never forsake the assembling of yourselves with your body of believers to get your encouragement. Susie Q at the bar and Billy Bob down at the bar in the strip jar. They're not going to give you encouragement to follow Jesus. I didn't say Sally. I said Susie Q. I don't want to get any more grief about the Sally thing comment I made. <laughs> Sally, I didn't ever do it either. Poor Sally. So we have, this is what we got coming. Okay? So we have here, if you, we must make clear though, that this reference to the Lord being in his holy temple, it doesn't refer to Solomon's temple though. Remember, Solomon's temple was still standing in Habakkuk's day. It was about to be destroyed. It was in 586 B.C. We know this isn't Solomon's temple, but rather the, the temple that's in heaven, in the third heaven, it's indicated by the fact that the Shekinah glory, i.e. the manifestation of the Lord's personal presence, would depart from it due to the apostasy of the citizens of the southern kingdom of Judah. Solomon's temple, as they said, was ultimately destroyed during the third and final Babylonian invasion in 586 B.C. Furthermore, Habakkuk 1.1 asserts that Habakkuk received a vision from the Lord which he communicated in this book that bears his name. And we know that the contents of Habakkuk presents a dialogue with the Lord, which implies that Habakkuk was in the throne room of God, in the Lord's temple, because how could he speak with the Lord unless they were face to face? Therefore, this would indicate that the reference to the temple in Habakkuk 2.20 is a reference to the heavenly temple and not Solomon's temple. Interestingly, the Shekinah glory mentioned in the Old Testament is also a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. And the meaning of the word Shekinah, the one who dwells, emphasizes that God seeks to live with man 
and not vice versa. Look at the story of the Bible, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God wants to dwell with his creatures. You look at the Revelation, the final story, the final chapter, God dwells with man. That's what he wants to do. He wants to dwell with his creatures. But sin and Satan have to be dealt with first. So we see the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, as a manifestation of the holiness of God, which speaks of his absolute perfection of his character. Thus, the glory of God is the manifestation of the presence of God. Because the presence of God's holiness indicates that God himself is present, since God, as to his person, is holy. Ezekiel chapters 8 through 11, fascinating chapters, they record the departure from Israel of the Shekinah glory. Therefore, we can see that the glory of the Lord had initially dwelt in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Exodus 40, verse 34 teaches us that. Exodus 30, verses 34 through 38. It departed, though, when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, which God allowed because of Israel's sin. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple of Solomon upon its completion and consecration, according to 1 Kings 8.10. In fact, this temple, the Levitical priests had to leave because of the, 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 the Shekinah glory had consumed, it was all filled the temple, forcing the, the Levitical priests out from their service. So then it progressively, chapters, yeah, we see Ezekiel chapters 8 through 11, it te teaches us that the Shekinah glory, the personal presence, visible presence of the Lord, progressively departed the temple of Solomon in preparation for the destruction of the nation of Israel, which had turned irrevocably to the worship of abominable, abominable idols. The first step recorded for us in Ezekiel, chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. Second, Ezekiel 9, 3 teaches us that. And the third step, we have Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 18 and 9 through 19. And then the fourth and final step, Ezekiel 11, 22 through 23. So the temple then was rebuilt after Judah's seven year, 70 years exile in Babylon, and it did not possess the glory of the Lord. Remember, we did Haggai. We did that book. But there was, they were weeping over this. The older crowd, why? It wasn't as magnificent as Solomon's temple. They didn't have the materials because they were, in, they were, they were a dispossessed people who were just coming back as captives back to the land to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And Haggai teaches this, presents to us the story of the completion of the Zerubbabel's temple, which eventually became Herod's temple that Jesus walked into. Herod expanded upon it. He was a great builder, like a lot of the Romans were, leaders were, emperors. So they, they, he, he expanded upon it. And Jesus, in fact, they were still building it in the days that Jesus was walked into it. So the Shekinah glory, though, appeared in Israel 2,000 years ago during the first advent of Jesus Christ, 33 and a half years in the person of Jesus Christ, but departed when they crucified him. That little boy, you read in Luke's gospel, the chapter two, and he's talking to the Pharisees, asking them questions. Little did they know that that little shrimp was the son of God in human flesh. And Mary and Joseph, where is he? Did you know it's supposed to be about my father's business? That parent, Joseph and Mary knew that. But again, like all parents, where's my kid? Okay? He wasn't with everybody in the caravan. He wasn't with the other kids. So where is he? Well, he's, where else would he be? In the temple talking, talking doctrine, theology. However, though it departed the Shekinah glory 2,000 years ago with the rejection of Jesus as their Messiah, 
it will return to the millennial temple and the person of the resurrected, glorified, incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, the unique theanthropic person of history. This command that we see in Habakkuk 2.20, requiring the members of the human race to be silent because of the Lord's presence in his holy temple in the third heaven appears also in other places. Zephaniah 1.7 and 2.17, uh, my translation of these on the board, book we're going to do in the future. Be silent before the presence of my sovereign, my Lord, because the period of judgment to be brought about by the Lord is imminent. Indeed, the Lord has prepared a sacrificial meal. He has consecrated his invited guests. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the great prophet Zephaniah issues the inhabitants of Jerusalem a command to be silent before the presence of his sovereign, his Lord, who is, of course, the God of Israel. And this command emphasizes the creature-creator distinction and that the creature must be silent before his or her creator. So the day of the Lord in this passage, in, a, in, a, in a, uh, Zephaniah 1.7, is not a 24-hour period, but rather it's a period of time in which the God of Israel judged the citizens of the kingdom of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem between 605 and 586 B.C., again, through the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar. And the reference of day of the Lord in Zephaniah 1.7 has a near eschatological fulfillment since Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 8 through 13 describes the situation and this prophet's day in Judah. However, when we get to verse 14, the context would indicate that the day of the Lord will have a far eschatological fulfillment. Why? Because verses 15 through 18 of chapter 1 speaks of God judging the inhabitants of the earth which he will do during the 70th week of Daniel. Uh, uh, you don't have to hold your place. Go to Zephaniah. Go to Zephaniah chapter 1. Verse 1. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. So when we get to the end of chapter 1 of Zephaniah, okay, you see this, the prophets of Israel will do this. There was a contemporary situation where the day of the Lord would be applicable, judgment for Judah's day, okay? But also you see the prophets that also, and the context determines this, the con- also the prophet will be looking further down the road to actually Israel's final seven years of discipline. 70th week of Daniel, okay? That's also, we'll see this in our study of the day of the Lord. So, look at it, it says in Zephaniah 1.1. So he, he's another guy, okay, that uh, he preceded Habakkuk, okay? Great book, what a great book. Talk about the day, of, this is a great book on the day of the Lord. Zephaniah 1.1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And he was a great king, he was the last great king of Judah, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. If you read the seven seal, talk about the seven seal trumpet of bold judgments of Revelation 6 to 18, which we're going to study in our Day of the Lord series, we're going to go through those. This is what is going to happen. This place is going to be a pocket lot. Why? It's contaminated by sin and Satan. Look at the, as I said in the beginning of the, of the, of the first lesson, there's blood on our land. This land, has, this world needs to be cleansed. It's defiled by sin. It needs to be sanctified. 
and it will. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. How many billions of people are on this earth? Guess what? The earth's population, somebody did the math, looking at Revelation on the Old Testament passages, it's going to be significantly, significantly <laughs> diminished. We won't have billions. We might not even, we might not, we won't even have, uh, we, might, we might have a million, a couple of million left. Okay? So then it says in verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. Okay, now we're talking about in context what the situation is in the southern kingdom of Judah with their apostasy. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship their starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who swear also by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord. They, notice they turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. So they turn back from the Lord. That's apostasy. They used to be following him, now they're not. Be silent before the sovereign Lord. For the day of the Lord is near. The word near means imminent. And by the way, the day of the Lord is imminent in our day and age. I'll give you, I might have a chance to go there. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all those who clad and foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish I will, all who avoid stepping on the threshold, part of the religious uh, hypocrisy uh, they, that they have in that day, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. On that day, during that period, in other words, declares the Lord, I will cry, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, and a loud crash from the hills, talking about Jerusalem and being attacked by the Babylonians. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. And woe to the people of this world in our country who think that the Lord <coughs> is not going to do anything about them. The terrible conduct, ungodly conduct in our nation. <coughs> who shake their fist at God. Their wealth will be plundered. Their houses demolished. Their, they will build houses but not live in them. They will plant vineyards but not drink the wine. Now, we go forward. The context of the next several verses tells us he's looking forward now to an even greater judgment that will encompass not just Judah but all the nations. The great day of the Lord is near, imminent, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter, the shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and a battle cry against the fortified cities and corner towers. I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they've sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Go, to, go down to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The church is, is spared from this. Let me show you where it is. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.
Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. They probably, the second time, they probably believe it's about a year, okay? And so they were, all, they were Gentile Christians, okay? And they're living in a city called Thessalonica, all right? Now you can go see the ruins today. But they were taught, they were believers, born again believers. And there was a false doctrine that went out. We don't know if it was by a letter or what it was. A false prophet came in saying that the day of the Lord had already started. In other words, the tribulation period. So this is a pre-trib rapture that's being taught by Paul. They were concerned that they were going to have to go through this period. You won't. Why? Well, one reason, Jesus ain't a white beater, okay? He's not. And you're his bride, he's not going to put you through this. You were already delivered from the wrath to come. He says that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, and 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And in both those passages, he's talking in context to the 70th week of Daniel that we were just reading about in Zephaniah that's recorded in great detail in Revelation 6 to 18. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Look what he says. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. That's the rapture. We ask, brothers. Now, what's the rapture? It's where the omnipotence of Jesus Christ gives the church a resurrection body. We're pulled off the earth. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 describes the timing of it. The dead in Christ will rise first and a split second after that, we will rise. It was a mystery not known to Old Testament prophets. We know that from 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58. It's a mystery doctrine, we call it. And, but it's been revealed to us through the prophets, New Testament prophets and apostles of Jesus. And it's when we get our resurrection body. Paul describes this in Revel uh, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. So he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ that are being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become uneasily settled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. And here's why. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now listen to me carefully. I've held to all three views. Only one's right at one time or another. One's right. Context tells you everything. Some people believe this is the, it should be, the word there is apostasia. Some people believe that's talking about the rapture. It's not. The context doesn't tell us that. Some people think it's talking about the great apostasy during the end of the church age among Christians. I used to think that for the longest time. But no, the word apostasia really here speaks of rebellion. The word means rebellion. So Paul defines for us like a good Hebrew would. This is what they do. He would, he's defining in the context what this rebellion is. It's Antichrist and the human race's rebellion against Jesus Christ during the 70th week of Daniel. And the rebellion is already underway. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, many things going on there, but notice, doesn't that sound like a rebellion to you? It did to me. I mean, he was sitting there right in my face and I went, Duh. Of course it's that. Paul tells us what the rebellion is. He defines what that word means, apostasia. Now, a couple of things. The temple has to be rebuilt. It's not rebuilt now. In fact, we have the Dome of the Rock there. Don't worry. They got the plans. They're ready to build. One day it's going to be rebuilt. Don't ask me how, when, where. I don't know. Probably when we're gone. Antichrist will probably help them do it. 
How's this Arab-Israeli thing going on? How are we going to solve that? I don't know. God knows. And don't say, well, well look at 250 years ago, they couldn't believe that Israel would be in the land because 150 years ago, they weren't back in the land. Not, listen to me, another thing, that indication that the Bible is inspired by God, God's word, is the Jew. For 2,000 years, they had no geographical boundaries, no central government. They were dispersed all around the globe, including here. And 2,000 years ago, they were destroyed by the Romans, and it wasn't until 1948 where they were put back in the land no other nation, ancient nation in the world ever had that happen to them, but it happened to Israel. Don't tell me the Bible is not the word of God. Are you, as we say in Massachusetts, are you kidding me? Or as we used to say, isn't that wicked cool? Yeah, it's wicked cool. Isn't that something? They're back in the land. 150 years ago, we could never conceive of these things that we see now in the book of Revelation. Well, the back in the land, the time is short, guys. The rapture could happen any time. Now, don't be one of those people who uses the rapture to get out of the problems. The rapture is not designed for that. The, design, the rapture is to motivate you for holy living. Stay in fellowship with God. Keep short accounts. Okay? So don't be so obsessed with the rapture that you're not paying attention of using your gift and serving and doing, loving one another as you've been commanded to. And forsaking the assembling of yourselves is the habit of some. You are to use that as motivation to live the spiritual life. John says that. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So now, look what he says. Verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was with you? See, he had to leave because he was persecuted. He was forced out by persecution. That's why he sent Timothy and he wrote these letters to the Thessalonians. They encouraged them and to comfort them that he would be back. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? He was teaching eschatology to them. He was teaching them about the Antichrist, the tribulation period. He was teaching them that. We're supposed to teach the full counsel of God, not the subjects that we like, the cherry-picking thing, uh, the, 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 the hobby horses as many pastors in this country and the world do, especially in this country. They only talk about certain subjects. Of course, the ones that keep the offerings up. Talk about marriage, talk about kids, all of the Bible, but Paul doesn't spend all this time and Jesus on, the, on, the, on kids and marriage. Good thing. He is a great institution, marriage. He created it and he wants you to have kids, be fruitful and multiply. And for those who are still can have kids, get to work so we can fill this church with kids. Okay? We're all going, I can't do it anymore. So, okay, if you can't do it anymore, pray for it, for the young people to populate the, the church. So here we have, they told, they told, I remember I told you these things? And now you know what is holding him back. Who's him, the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, holding him back from what? To being revealed. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Now look, remember this, what is holding him back? Then he says in verse 7, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. In our day and age it's at work. Amen, right? We can see that. Just look at the newspaper. But the one who now holds it back, now he's a person, holds it back, will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Who's taken out of the way? Who's holding who back? Who, what is holding him back? What is holding him back? Speaks of the omnipotence of the Spirit. Who is holding him back? Is the Holy Spirit. Where is he dwelling? In us, Romans 8, 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. The Holy Spirit indwells us. 
in us. He is using us. When we're in fellowship and through obedience to his word, that enables the Holy Spirit to keep this from happening. The day of manifestation of the day of the Lord Antichrist. Everything is revolving around the church. Yeah, Israel's in the land, but the church, that's going to set everything off. The final terrible Armageddon campaign, all that. Okay? So the Holy Spirit has to be removed at the rapture. That's when he's going to be removed. First Thessalonians talks about the rapture. So when we're removed, God the Holy Spirit is not localized in a body of believers anymore like he is today. And for the first time, this earth will not have any believers on it. People will get saved by reading their Bible like the Jews will. And Gentiles. And then it says, so he has to be taken out of the way, the Holy Spirit. And that's when he, he's taken out of the way when we're taken out of the way. And then, notice the chronology, then the lawless one, Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, so, be sa so to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And that's what's going on in the world today. They're believing the lie of Satan. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Go to 1 Thessalonians real quick. Chapter 5. Look at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. It'll wrap this up. Just splash myself with water. <laughs> All right, 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It'll be a thief in the night to the people on the earth. When the rapture happens, that the people, the unbelievers, will not understand what just took place. It'll take them by surprise. That's what he's talking about. Well, people are saying peace and safety. The first three and a half years of the 70th week is a cold war. When Antichrist breaks the treaty in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, the last three and a half years, that's the Armageddon campaign starts. It's not a pitched battle like Waterloo. The Armageddon is a, is a campaign like three and a half years long, almost as long as World War II, right? For he says, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety and destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're a believer. You're sons of light. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night of the darkness, the darkness of Satan's cosmic system. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Now, as you notice, he's talking about governing their conduct based upon what's coming. The spiritual life is tied to this. Knowing what's going to happen, the way the world is going to be judged for their, their, uh, uh, their uh, rejection of Jesus Christ, how should we live? For, he says, so then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled, filled with the Spirit. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, spiritual life, putting on faith, post-justification faith, 
Love is a breastplate, and the hope of salvation is a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning if you're in apostasy, out of fellowship with God, asleep, or awake, in fellowship with God, filled with the Spirit, we may live together with him. And therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. See how prophecy is related to the spiritual life? There it is. Now, if you look at, we'll close here. If you look at my translation, it says in Habakkuk 2.4, look, he, the Babylonian is characterized as being proud and arrogant. His soul within him is by no means characterized as being upright. However, in contrast to him, a righteous person, you and I, the believer, must live by means of our faith. Ultimately, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, which required all the inhabitants of planet Earth to be quiet because of the Lord's presence in, the, in his holy temple, is a call to worship the Lord rather than the false gods promoted by Satan and his cosmic system. The chief celebrity of the church is not a pastor, it's not a deacon, it's not a musician, not a Christian musician, it's Jesus Christ. I am just a servant. I'll be here today and gone tomorrow. I can be replaced at any time. I don't want to be replaced at any time. I'd like to be here for the next 25, 30 years. I don't know how that will that be, but good luck to you if you're stuck with me for the next 25 years. Good luck to you. You're going to need a lot of prayer. Jesus and the Spirit will be praying for you, all right, if it does happen. But if he takes me out, don't worry. you got positive evolution. He'll, he'll, he's going to take care of you. So what I'm saying is nobody takes his place. He's the reason why we're here today. We're here to worship him, revere him, have awe of him. Why? What he did for us at Calvary and what he's going to do for us at the rapture and what he's going to do at the second advent, the tribulation period and the millennial reign. We're, going to, he's, we're his bride. We're going to reign with him. He's, our, he's the greatest lover of all time. He's the most beautiful person that ever lived. Forget about the entertainers. Forget about the athletes. Forget about the actors. Forget about the politicians. Forget about all these people. They don't compare to him. Those others will let you down, those idols. No one, he will never, ever, ever, ever let you down. You can hang your hat on that. Only thing you can hang your hat on this life. There's no guarantees. Only one guarantee. I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what tribulation we go through as believers in this country, and we could very well go through a terrible period starting with this next election. We don't know. It's not looking good. How are we going to handle this? The message of Habakkuk, we walk by faith in God's word. God will trust us. We'll be in the line of those great saints like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if God decides to strike our nation with judgment. Or maybe he'll show his grace and because of a small remnant of pivot believers in the church, invisible heroes, which the world doesn't know about, but the angels do, and God, those invisible heroes, will be the reason why, the salt of the earth will be the reason why God spares our nation for another day, another hour. You're part of the solution. Our nation needs the gospel. It needs for us to live out the gospel in our lives and love one another as we're commanded to, so that all people know we're his disciples. That's the first step, our character. Our character should be sanctified, set apart, above all these other people in the world. 
We need to show them there's a different alternative way of living in this world, which is devoted to him who loved us and gave himself up for us. So we should give thanks. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this message would touch the hearts of your people, motivating them and bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to sing us a song. Now, um, you know... I'm a, for, so, for those of you who might be visiting, I, I'm, you might be a little bit shocked because I'm going to play us. That, that's, I'm not here, whoever said that. But um, <clears throat> I like to say, Bert's a little bit country and I'm a little bit rock and roll. So, Bert and I are going to go on tour of Las Vegas like, you know, Donnie Osmond and Marie Osmond. But, uh, although, <laughs> anyways, so what we have is, uh, I'm going to try to, I, I like to, I'm a rocker, I'm a musician, I, I, I like bells, I like all that stuff, I love all kinds of music. But sometimes I feel like, boy, they're really going to listen to me sing, you know, these rockers. They're probably like, oh, for crying out loud. But here it goes. So this, this song is called Give Thanks. And hopefully, I, hopefully you can see that.
Christ.